Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility, and through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth, or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off-topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So if you hear any references of iHealth Saunas, that's why. G'day everyone and welcome to the Sweated Out Show. Question for you. What classes did you attend in the last year of high school? Mathematics, physical education, English, music, maybe drama. What about the class on how to easily and successfully build wealth? Yeah, that wasn't a class, was it? Did you attend the class on how to maximize your tax return or the capital investment strategy class? Hmm, I didn't think so. In fact, talking about money, let alone learning about how to build money, is a conversation that isn't had as often as I believe it needs to be, similar to the last episode on sex. And so we can be left to figure out money by ourselves, only working with the influence we are the model from our parents or our friends oftentimes not the best people to be taking money advice from. Money isn't everything in life. Having money does make more choices available to you. Having a sole purpose to earn money will lead to discontent. Having an abundance of money can lead to amazing life experiences. Struggling to earn enough money to support a family is challenging. Having so much money that your family doesn't learn the value in money also provides challenges. There are many sides to the coin, Pun absolutely intended. And building wealth stems from a fundamental belief within ourselves. Do you wish that you will earn $150,000 next year? Or will you earn $150,000 next year? Finish this sentence and you will gain some insight into your beliefs around money. Ready? Money is... Perhaps after today's interview, your answer to that question may change. You see, today I'm talking with Ben Walker. Ben Walker is the founder and CEO of Inspire, life-changing accountants, based out of Brisbane, Australia. Ben has a fascination in helping people's money work for them. In today's episode, we talk about the three main areas to focus on when building wealth, and we deep dive into each area to share with you the simplicity with which you can get clear on where your money is going, how to shift your focus on money and start growing your money, what safeguards to put in place, and areas to consider investing to achieve higher levels of wealth in your life so ultimately you no longer have that feeling of not knowing what you're doing with your finances. A feeling we've all felt at one point or another. Feeling in control of your money reduces stress. We all know the impact stress has on our health. This episode of Finding Space with Alex Tyson is brought to you by Found Space. Make your home a place of wellness to live a long and healthy life. Visit foundspace.com.au for more information. And so to today's interview, I give you Ben Walker. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, Thanks, Alex. Although I should really say 
Thank you for having me here because <laughs> we're in your podcast studio. <laughs> yep, uh, that's it. I appreciate you driving down from the, the sunny coast. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always nicer to do, do these conversations in person than uh, through the computer screen. And plus your setup is pretty epic. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a real treat to be here. Thank you, mate. No worries. Today is really exciting for me because usually, certainly in the past, conversations on Sweated Out have generally been health focused. But um, today we're really branching out a little bit and talking about something which actually plays just as an important role in our overall health. And that is our financial state and our wealth and how we handle and, uh, and I guess, pursue building money and wealth in our life. And certainly when we don't have plenty of money or it's tight or things aren't going well, it has an impact in our health. Yep. Um, it has an impact in our immune system and our overall well-being, our sex drive. So it is critically important. And um, since I've gotten to know you, you've been a really good influence in how I handle my finances and things. And so I'm really excited to have you on, mate. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, before we start or to get into it, you've got a really kick-ass accountant, accountant firm, accountant business. I'm not sure what you guys call yourself exactly, but um, I guess it was the first time that I'd ever been inspired by someone doing what, doing what you do. And um, I'm curious to learn a bit more about that, like, Obviously, accounting and helping people with this stuff sets your soul on fire. How did you kind of get into it and what is it about doing the work that you do that inspires you so much? Yeah, no, really, really good question. And it really starts right at um, well, how I actually got into accounting was I, I headed towards the business subjects and when we can kind of choose what we did at uh, school. Um, my grandfather ran a business, dad ran a business, and um, and I just was kind of fascinated with it. So anyway, did all the businessy law and accounting subjects, and accounting was quite easy for me. And yeah, I ended up getting a job in a pretty big accounting firm and seeing uh, from it like the the grind, so to speak, uh, that, that you get there at the big corporate um, in corporate world, and uh, ended up shifting over to a. Uh, suburban accounting firm. And the significance of that was I started to actually see clients come in and it was almost like when they arrived, they looked stressed, they looked like worried or that sort of thing. And then I, um, I used to go to meetings with the um, uh, the guy I worked for and as he explained stuff, you can kind of see things click in their mind. Like, oh, that, that's what that does. And that's that makes sense over there. And actually it's not really a big problem. So and then on the way out, they just didn't look anywhere near as stressed. So you could see an almost instant effect you could have on on people where you kind of solve money problems for them. Mm. Um, and that might sound super vague, but <laughs> there's so many detailed levels underneath that of, you know, it's not just a tax return, it's how we put it together and um, how we advise a client that all makes a super, super big difference in, um, in their world. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love that. I resonate with that story too. I remember growing up in in the family business, and I either dad would come home from the accountants, and yep. like the rest of his week would be ruined because I don't know, <laughs> found out something he didn't know, or yeah. or just the energy prior to him going there and going there with him, and it was a similar thing. He would go there, and there'd be so much that he wasn't sure about, and then he'd come out being like, "Oh, I understand that now." And there's kind of a relief there. Yeah, it's interesting. I think for most people, I mean, there certainly isn't a class at school on like, "Hey, this is how you like 
do a tax return or not at all. Yeah, you know, this is how to understand money and how to save money and make money work for you. Or do a budget like just a simple household budget. There's nothing. Yeah. yeah, how do we get that into schools? I feel like it's important. <laughs> no, it is definitely very important to start that. And yeah, the earlier you start that sort of stuff, the um, the better the outcome as you get older. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so today we're going to cover a bit of a, a bit of a framework for everyone listening. You probably need a pen and paper. I feel like to maybe write some stuff down, unless you're very good in your mind. Yeah, it could go about it with a bit, bit of a workshop style. Mm. Um, for those of you watching, well, it might be a little bit more um, interactive. But um, <laughs> yeah, what are we going to talk about today? We're yeah, into a few things, right? Yeah, no, that's it. And and I, and I guess one of the things I've become more and more passionate about as I've I've solved some of this stuff in my own life, but um, we, we've helped clients in the in the past few years with is is actually less about accounting stuff and more about helping them grow their personal wealth um, or their family's wealth. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the problems I see too often um, from like a tax accounting perspective or, you know, helping a business with their numbers is often everything just gets reinvested back into the business and they don't put much aside for super or they don't put enough. Um, they're not investing outside their business and, and that can actually lead to huge problems if, um, you know, your business is only one asset. So you're, you're sorry, your sole asset or one of the key ones. So, yeah, uh, I've just gotten more and more passionate where I've seen the power in this stuff um, over the last few years. So, yeah, I'd love to talk about um, what, what we call wealth for life. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. Cool. Let's get into it. Where do we start? Yeah, cool. Well, um, yeah, I guess um, wealth for life I kind of consider is like a nine-step process for, for clients. Um, and that kind of sounds a bit mechanical, but <laughs> when I started to put together the key parts of stuff that I got sorted – um, you know, a few years ago now, and and we can kind of really help um, make a change with our clients. It came down to kind of nine key things, mm. and and just going through them one by one is the first one is vision, like actually having some sort of a list of goals or something you want to do with your life. Because after that point, like if you don't have that, then like you can't go to an advisor and say help me achieve that when you haven't worked out what you want to achieve. Mm. So. Um, so yeah, kind of step one is is having that vision for for you and your family, and you know there's a few different frameworks for that. Um, the one we kind of use is a bucket list, which kind of divides your your life up into a few different sections and and also timelines as well. Mm. So um, yeah, and once we know that, we can we know what we're working towards. Mm. The second step is uh, living within your means. So you know, a mistake I made <laughs> is, uh, you know, when, when money comes into your, your personal bank account, um, that money or more goes out, if that's even possible. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just making sure that your your living expenses is less than what you're earning. Otherwise, you've got a very big problem with wealth creation. In mm-hmm. fact, you're, you're going to be going backwards, not forwards. So, um, yeah, it's almost doing a, a an audit on what your living expenses are, um, you know, can you trim back any, um, you know, any excess or like, you know, an example I use is if, if you get Uber Eats three times a night, so, sorry, that'd be intense, <laughs> three times a week, can you drop that back to once a week? Uh, and you might save, depending on the family, you know, 70 or 100 bucks a week just there. You know, do you need five different TV subscriptions or can you drop it down to two? And, you know, we don't want to focus on, you know, saving every single dollar everywhere. Like it's it's bang for buck stuff that I want to focus on. But yeah, if you can achieve the same lifestyle that just costs a little bit less, then that's what we're wanting to achieve in in that um, step there. Mm. 
Cool. That's number two. Number three, financial freedom. So once we know what we spend and where we want to go, uh, we also want to be able to work out when we will be, in a sense, financially free, be able to live our lifestyle that we want and target an amount of investments that we need to provide for that lifestyle. Mm. With the goal being able to never having to, having to, you might want to work again, but never having to work again to provide for your lifestyle. Mm. And that's a pretty cool position to be in. Yeah, I think um, already I'm coming back to the importance of that first step, yeah. the vision, yep. right? Because oh, I talk about purpose so much on this podcast, people are probably sick of me talking about it, but mm-hmm. it's so important because if you don't have that, well, what are you doing anything for? Because you don't know what you're striving for. How can you make any decisions? Yeah. Right? Do I want to retire and and have you know multiple properties and this and that, or do I just want to have it real simple and have some cash in the bank? Or you know, knowing those things, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, and it's going to help answer all of these other steps. Yeah. Once you know what that vision is. Yeah. No, absolutely. And um, it's kind of one of the first questions I ask clients. Like I caught up with someone the other week. He was telling me about some stuff he wanted sorting out in the business and and then I was like, cool, well, once we get that sorted, like where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Mm. He's like, oh, I'd love a property in, you know, in Queenstown and one overseas and another overseas, another country and, um, you know, one down in northern New South Wales and, mm. and it's so important that you you understand, as an advisor, that you understand that so that you you can actually put things in place to help them. Um, that's, that's where the real power of this stuff comes in, so. Yeah, and I think also you, you would probably experience that when you have those conversations with people. It almost like frees them up, like that question, like, okay, yeah. So then, what what happens after? You know, you sell the business, for example, or or, or what's next? And then I imagine like the ceiling, the glass ceiling in their mind goes, and they think, oh wow, well actually, well I'd like to have this and this and this, you know. And then you can really start to create something and work for something. Mm. that to me is really exciting. There's so much belief work around that too because people perhaps believe, oh, I'm too old to be able to do that or there's not enough time and it's like, is that just a bit of head trash that you got going on? <laughs> probably is possible for you to have those multiple properties in different countries or whatever it is that gets you going. Yeah, for sure. That's it. Mm. Yeah, the first thing is working that out. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And so what's number four? Yeah, so um, so those first three actually, what I call like the foundational things, like uh, yep. um, like that's the first layer. You know, where are we going? Do a bit of a stock take on on what, what's going out, and then in in terms of your expenses, and then that third one there is is having a like an actual dollar figure to aim for, and that can be kind of stage one or goal one from a, a financial call it net worth perspective. Um, but then we need structures in place um, because a couple of things uh, I'll, I'll share will make sense as we go. But number four is having a backup plan. So uh, not everything goes to plan. Um, and uh, one of the backup, one of the pieces in that backup plan is having insurances in place. Uh, so in Australia, you can get insured for things like, you know, if you pass away unexpectedly, uh, if you get illness, um, if you can't work for a certain period of time, um, there's different insurances that you can have in place that protect financially against that. And a couple of situations I've seen is, um, you know, when when you've got, let's say, a young family and the, the main income earner passes away unexpectedly, but the, the family's got a whole heap of debt, you don't want, you know, massive shifts in lifestyle for the, the remaining family 
to have to, you know, go and pay out debt or sell the family home and, um, you know, I, I call it, let's say, a young mum with, with a couple of kids having to go back to work full time to put food on the table. And, yeah, it's just situations mm. you, you want to avoid, um, look into whether you can have a backup plan in the form of insurances. So, yeah, and, and that's that's a relatively easy thing to put in place um, and for most people uh, inexpensive when you think of the ramifications of not having it in place and something bad happening. Mm. And and is the, I'm sure we'll get into it a bit later, but is the general consensus there to in, insure so you cover off the debt that you do have? Yeah, so a couple of things that I've used to work out um, my own insurance sort of needs is pay out any um, non-investment debt. So the home you live in, any other personal debt, um, maybe even business debt, unless you've got a very liquid business that you could just, or you, you know, people who are left over can sell for you and pay out that debt. But if it's going to be difficult for them to do that, you want to add that in, like your business debt in there. And then uh, some for the family, I, I kind of consider. So, um, you know, how much in dollars would you need to provide for, you know, let's say in my case, my, my wife and two kids. Uh, so you add that and make sure it's you've got instructions to wisely invest that. So, mm-hmm. and, and then that should cover them for life. So, that that's a, a great backup plan in my opinion. Where if you died or you had a major accident, then the people you love won't just be left stranded. They're set up. So, yeah, yeah. that's a good backup plan. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. And what's after what's after the backup plan? Yep. So the next one there is uh, is kind of a little bit morbid topic as well, but uh, leaving your legacy. So, you know, they say that the only two certainties in life is death and taxes. Um, so, so we want to make sure when we pass away, you've got an estate plan in place that, um, again, you know, makes sense for, for your situation. So, um, a, a couple of key key documents or things you might want to do there is definitely have a will. Um, to work out where your personal assets go. Mm. If you're a business owner, um, you do need a little bit more um, sort of advice around that because you might have companies or trusts and, and and the control of those is the key when you pass away. How does that pass to your next generation or the, the people that you, you leave behind? And then also having a document called a power of attorney um, when you, you may not be dead yet, but you still need other people to make decisions from a medical or a financial perspective. So yeah, again, I've got I've seen situations where people haven't had their documentation in place or it hasn't been reviewed um, when the, the person's wealth had changed or their structures had changed. So, um, and, and it's a bit of a nightmare for the, the family trying to help with this stuff when they don't have the correct documents in place. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you just hear so many horror stories about people who didn't have their will sorted or yep. no power of attorney, whatever. It's just like, oh, <laughs> just kind of makes you cringe sometimes with what goes on, you know. Yeah, yep. And I've seen, um, you know, someone with a couple of million dollars worth of their estate and they've got a three-page will. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, things can be challenged and all sorts of stuff like that. So, Yeah, I mean, is, is there – there's a lot of these single-page wills going around nowadays. Is that like – that sounds concerning to me. Yeah, I guess it all comes down to what the needs of the the person is. And if you're a business owner, you've got companies and trusts or kids. I mean, you know, we can add things like testamentary trusts in, and um, and making yeah, the key is making sure wherever your wealth is, you've got the documents in place to transition that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, so, I mean, yeah, most of our estate planning packs for a husband and a wife are hundreds of pages, not just one. Yeah. Uh, by the time you get through all of the, the documentation. Yeah. Yeah, great. And what's after legacy? Uh, next one there is long-term wealth. So, um, again, we haven't even talked about investing a cent yet. Um, these are all the structures you need in place. Last one there is uh, – to do with superannuation. So um, super is one of the most tax effective vehicles in Australia for investing. Uh, it has a tax rate of 15% when you're when you're building your balance or 0% when you're drawing on your pension balance or, or drawing a pension in uh, later in life. And 0% you know, sounds good. 0% tax <laughs> is fantastic. Uh, and there's certain conditions around that limits and all that stuff, but, um, um, but it's still very, very good um, compared to Thirty percent or more outside of super. So, the goal there is to just have some consideration for it. Your whole super strategy. Make sure you you have one. You know what it's invested into, and you know you've you've worked with someone to work out whether you need to you know contribute to that that fund or that long term uh, strategy. So, yep, that's the and that's the structures you need in place. Yeah, layer three. <laughs> Love some layers. Yeah, so we got foundations. We're going deep. Here we go. <laughs> now this is yeah. So layer one's foundations. Two is structures. Three is actually growing your wealth. So you know, step seven of nine is making wise investment decisions. Now I'm not a financial advisor, um, so you know I can't really say from a legal perspective anyway. But <laughs> hey, invest in BHP or uh, you know invest in that index fund or you know like make recommendations on. Yeah, on, on exactly on where to put your money. Yeah, that's it. But I can say it makes total sense to start investing regularly and as early as you can. Um, and uh, usually I sort of share a bit of a diagram on compounding interest. Um, so I think the example is, and I might even have the reference in this good old workbook. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like just two examples. We've got um, in this example, it says Aaron starts saving at 20 years old, he puts two grand a year aside for 10 years. So his total investment is $20,000. By the time he's 65, that 20 grand has turned into about half a million dollars if it earns 8% a year. Mm. Compare that to Carl. So Carl begins saving at 40, not 20. He saves two grand a year for 25 years. So he puts away 50 grand in total instead of the 20 that Aaron did. When Carl's 65, his is worth less than 200 grand. So it is a massive difference, um, even though he saved more dollars up front. Mm-hmm. So this is a silly question, but is who was the first guy? Aaron? Yeah. Aaron. <laughs> Good old Aaron. Yep. Is he, um, so he's just buying the same stock or the same wherever he's investing it in. Mm. Just He's just buying another $2,000 worth or investing another $2,000 each year. Yep, just yep. for 10 years though. And leaving the rest in there is not selling it or anything. It's just- that's so, right. Yeah. Yep. So, and and that's a compounding interest of eight percent a year. Yeah. Um, which, if he finds somewhere where he can get eight percent a year. Yeah. Yep. That's that's which it. could be property. It could be, or it could be property because you can't keep just investing, buying in that, right? Yeah, that's a bit yeah. hard. To yeah, yeah. Two so it'd be some sort of stock or an investment fund or something like that. Yeah. Yep. And if you look at the history of the ASX, eight percent. Like oh, sorry, history of ASX over like a hundred years, mm. the average returns like more than eight percent. So mm. yeah, yeah, and that's not terribly difficult to to put two grand away for you know ten years. It mm. just just shows that you know you start at forty or you start at twenty years old, and that's the massive difference it has. 
Yeah, I actually find that really interesting, you know, when you talk to people about uh, people who are in like stockbrokers and things and um, I have quite a few friends in that industry and they're always, oh, you know, it's not a great time to be getting in and whatever and mm. and I, for me it's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm talking over like a few decades here, guys. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to make a win in the next six months. Yep. So, so far as I'm concerned, over two decades, three decades, it's always a great time yes. to get started. Right, it is, yeah, and and that's another good point as well. Like, it's not a it's not a get rich quick scheme, you know. You got to start and be consistent about it. And, and you know, if I was Aaron, you'd probably keep investing two grand a year until you are sixty five. Would you say that's an overall theme with building wealth, the consistency? You know, you talked about having Uber just once a night, not three times a night. Yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> and how you know you might save seventy bucks a week. Yes, you know, over a year. Yeah, it's a decent amount of money, but over 10 years, if you kick that habit, yeah. it's a significant amount of money, right? Yeah, it's a house deposit. It's an investment property deposit, yeah. yeah. Like the, the example I give is um, is Stevie, my wife and I, we, we had two coffees a day at this stage in our lives and, and we'd always get um, cafe coffee. We didn't make it at home. Can't stand instant. And so we were spending, you know, 18 bucks a day, 365 days of the year. That's that's about six and a half grand a year. We got a f- coffee machine because I traded in some points, some credit card points. Mm. You know, spent about a grand on coffee beans in a year. So there's five, five and a half grand of savings a year for no change in lifestyle. Five and a half grand times your decade and your 10 years, that is a house deposit. That's 50 grand. That's 55 rather. On coffee. <laughs> Just on coffee, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You add more layers to that, and huge outcome. Yeah, big time. So, um, what what are point eight and point nine, and then we might go back and delve a little bit deeper into each of these areas. Yeah, so eight and nine are, are actually a lot to do with property. So, so step eight is actually your property portfolio, and step nine is leveraging debt. So, uh, making sure you've got a great um, a debt strategy in place. So. The first one there is your property portfolio. Um, I mean, a lot of Australians love property uh, for, for great reason, um, and, and a few of the reasons I love it is um, you know mostly most of the time, especially with interest rates so low, you can get a cash flow positive property. So that's a, a great outcome if you get the right one. And uh, you know, other things I look for is if there's government spend committed to the area. That means public money's going there to build infrastructure, roads, all that sort of thing. So you would expect, um, you know, private money and, and value to increase in that area. Banks will easily lend to it. So, yeah, I mean, if you think of like a five hundred thousand dollar property, um, you might only need fifty or a hundred grand deposit on that, depending on your your lending circumstances. And you know, without going too deep into property, you can actually make you know ten or or twenty percent. 20% is a very high end on the actual money you invest if you calculate not the rental yield on the property but the net return on your own investment, which is often a very different number. So, In some ways to me that is a more like it, it would make sense that that would always be the number that we're trying to calculate, right? Because yes. it's a ROI. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we want. We want to know what return we're going to get on the money that we're putting in. Yeah, absolutely. But too often I see – uh, people focus on the rental yield, and and that's important. That that gives context to a lot of other stuff, but it's not the yield on the total value of the property. I want to know. It's the yield on what money I'm putting into the property. Yeah. So yeah, and and often the the differences are it's like two or three times 
the, the return on your own money than the property value itself. Mm. It gives you more context too, because then you can say, okay, well, I've invested 200K and I'm getting back, I don't know, 8, 10, 12%, for example. What if I invest that money elsewhere? That's it. Yep. Um, what would I be getting? You can compare apples with apples. Yes. Yeah. It, it um, allows you to do that. And you can say, well, if I put that into a managed fund instead, the 200 grand, I might only get 10%, but property gives me 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what we want to be doing as well is, uh, is working out what's your return with a property on from a, just a cash flow perspective, not on a speculative that's the word capital growth, mm. because that's never guaranteed. I mean, we're seeing a lot at the moment property prices go through the roof. It's it's a time where that's a fantastic outcome for people who own property, uh, and and prices have increased. But I never want to have in my own property strategy reliance on a property going up in value. Mm. So yeah, you you want to be relying on that rental income, ideally cash flow positive, and. Mm. Um, yeah, that's some and, great money to be made. And then there's the tax benefits to that. Huge, well. yeah. yeah. Yep. And so again, you, you get the right property. It's cash flow positive. It puts tax back in your pocket. Doesn't cost you anything. And if you look at the you know wealthiest hundred families, I haven't actually done this exercise, mm. but I've I've heard you know the, the old grapevine. Mm. But you know you've got ninety five percent or more, like huge majority property is a huge part of their portfolio. So. Mm. They must be doing something right, right? Mm. <laughs> Financial perspective anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, cool. Okay. And then the debt strategy at the end, maybe we can talk a little bit about that um, toward the end perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of property related, but okay. you want to have your debt structured on, let's say your own home. It doesn't often earn you any money. So what you want to do is make sure that you pay that off as quickly as possible. And and so you're you're focusing your repayments or, or when you clear debt, you want to focus on non-tax deductible debt because that there's no tax benefit on that while, um, you know, not making the focus to get rid of tax deductible debt. So there's a simple strategy that, um, you know, good, good financial planners use, which is debt recycling, and it's just prioritizing that non-deductible debt. Okay. Um, yeah. Complex in itself, but the idea is simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, Okay, yeah, let's let's come back to that because I want to jump right back to the start and talk a bit more about that that vision. What are the sort of questions that you're you're asking people when we put everything that we spoke about aside and we say, okay, maybe you've got a, a business or maybe you're working as a professional, and um, you know, like, what's the end game? Mm. You know, what, what what do you want to get out of all this? What what do you want your money to be doing for you? What are the kind of questions that you are talking to clients about and how do you help them unpack what their vision is for their financial future? Yeah. So the framework we use is, is a bucket list and it sort of divides people's lives on, on an A3 paper uh, with the sort of business or career, personal like themselves, uh, family, and then contribution. And, and then we give uh, frameworks around, well, what do you want to achieve in the next year in each of those things or uh, one to five years, five to 10 or 25 years plus. So, you know, that, that's the kind of guidelines we give. But I really want to know, like, how many hours do you want to work in, in a week? And, um, you know, it's interesting to hear the, the responses from that. And you can easily tell whether someone loves what they do or not. Uh, by, <laughs> how can you tell? <clears throat> oh, when you get answers, oh, I love what I do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, four days a week is a great outcome, not, not the 60 hours a week I'm currently doing. Mm. Um, or, you know, 
you, you might hear, oh, I don't want to be doing this. I want to have sold it and, and retired and not doing much. And it's interesting when you ask them to explore what that looks like. <laughs> right. And, and then something else, another passion might pop up. So, mm. yeah. That's a really interesting point. Um, over the last couple of years, I've had some good business success and I've had friends come to me and say, you know, I want to learn a bit more about what you do and how you kind of do it. And first thing I ask them is like, well, what do you want to do? Mm. And they, oh, oh, I don't know. I think I know or mm. well, they'll know exactly, but they're not doing that at all. And it's like, well, we're only going to have this conversation if we're going to talk about you doing the thing that you love. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise, again, what are we doing it all for? Yeah. Um, so – yeah, I just I the reason I wanted to share that is just because so often in times we end up doing things that we don't particularly enjoy, and then all of a sudden we're in our fifties and we go, oh, "I wish I'd given that a crack," mm. you know. And um, that's a really important message for me to put out for anyone, yeah. Because the life's freaking short, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, so yeah, I, it, it breaks my heart when you hear those kind of those things happen, but. Um, when people are following their passions, you can see it, man. You yeah. can feel it in them. You know, they're just like, they're just doing it. They're getting it done. And I love that. Mm, yeah. And, and, you know, I love what I do. But, and, you know, some days are tough. Some days you, you, you don't love. Mm. But, um, yeah, if, if you're, I reckon if you're loving what you do, um, then you won't feel the need to have to retire. It's, you know, it's something that you enjoy doing. And, yeah, love talking about that stuff. Yeah. And I, um, when this, people ask me, um, you know, oh, what, what have you been up to today? And, and my default answer is still, oh, I've been working, but I actually don't like the word work <laughs> because I think for most people there's connotations around, oh, work, like doing the slog, like doing that thing, you know, getting ready for the weekend when I can finally do what I want to do. And, yeah. and um, for me that's not like that's not what it means. Um, for me, what have you been doing today? It was like, oh, I've – I've been creating wealth. I've been helping people with their health. You know, I've been having a good time. Um, but still, I'd notice myself saying, oh, I've been working. And it's like, well, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't really. I've been doing what I love and doing what I enjoy. Yeah. Yep. Certainly sometimes though, yes, there are things that it does feel like work. Because <laughs> mm. there's certainly things you don't want to do. Yeah. Yep. No, it's definitely a bit weird to not acknowledge that bit, but yeah. Yeah. And so once they kind of unpack that a little bit more and they, they write their bucket lists out, are there certain things that you're looking for, like certain specifics when it comes to creating wealth and those kind of things? Like mm. are you looking for retirement plans, for example, if they're in their 40s or 50s or you're starting to piece together how are you going to make that happen with their current situation? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess my, my the lens that I look through with, with their goals is how do we fund this? So, yeah, yeah whether it's property purchases or lifestyles, uh, you know, do they have a 200 grand a year goal for their lifestyle in retirement? Okay, let's work out how how much we need in investments, earning what percent to, to equal 200 grand a year without reducing each year. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the kind of calculations we can do through steps two and three really. Mm-hmm. Steps two is funding your lifestyle. Step three is how much would you need in investments to fund it. Right. Yeah. And are you also looking at things like super as well, what they have available in super and what they'll need? I guess it comes to step two, like <laughs> what does it cost for them to live? Yep. Yeah, how, does, how do you kind of do the calculations based on all those things? Um, so, yeah, the actual calculation is let's say it is 200 grand that they want to live on in retirement or 
or at least to work towards to not have to work again, then we, we take two hundred year. Per year, yeah. Yep. Uh, so we take 200 grand, divide that by whatever they think their investment risk tolerance can can take. So, so some people, want, you know, I've, I've got clients that just want everything in cash. Unfortunately, right now you, you're pretty much going backwards with um, inflation. Yep. But, uh, you know, so be it. Uh, but let's say, you know, we say a client's happy taking moderate risk to get that 8% return that we talked about earlier with it was Aaron and Carl. Yeah. Uh, um, so we take 200 grand and divide that by 0.08 for 8%. And if we've got a calculator here, yeah. just to give this example. Um, and when you're saying 200 grand, you're saying that's what this person said it, they're going to spend per year to live. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like food on the table, travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we kind of assume that the mortgage is paid off at that point. Yeah. Um, but that's 2.5 million assets earning 8% a year to um, cover that person's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, and and if we say 2.5 and the person's already got half a million super, then, you know, that's only a $2 million gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they might have investment properties or a share portfolio. Mm-hmm. And, and often people, people are surprised at that number. Usually it's lower than what they expected. And they also are surprised at how far along some of them are getting to that point. So. Mm. And does that work come after the living within your means piece whereby you say, okay, well, what can you actually scale back, Yes, you know, when necessary? Yeah, that's it. And, and we always want to have a buffer in there. We don't want to live like we're feeling the need to to be scarce in, in what we spend, but obviously we don't want to go too far into just wasting cash. So, mm. yeah, it's it's a, quite a fine balance. Yeah, Get rid of those coffees and the stand subscription and the Netflix and the Hulu and the this and Disney Plus and binge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Waste your money, streamingservice.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really cool. Would it sounds to me like then you're often optimistic that people can actually retire living the way that they want to live most yeah. of the time. Yeah, yep. I mean, that's that's my own personal journey that I'm on, mm. and uh, you know, I, I love sort of walking our clients through this stuff because often, you know, they, they're kind of doing what they do day in day out without that overarching plan. So, you know, you might have, um, you know, thinking of a client who's a um, a dentist. You know, he goes to work, earns a decent living, but does he have something in place that he knows? All right, when I hit. $2.5 million in, in investments, that's when I'm, I know that, cool, I can provide for 200 grand living. And, and maybe at that point he might drop from, you know, four days a week down to two or mm. you know, it just gives him that choice or that, that little bit more certainty of having a plan in place to be able to match that to a desired lifestyle. And, and that's what I actually think it all comes back to. Um, I've made some uh, questionable financial decisions but the, the paramount is lifestyle. Mm. So, that, yeah, I mean, is, is life really just trying to stack up dollars uh, and that's it? Like what's the point to that? So, yeah, so that lifestyle was the key. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not the true reason why we're doing everything that we're doing, but I think it needs to be a, a, an important piece. You know, just the last couple of weeks we, we've been lucky. We've been in Brisbane and, and oh. sunny coast and – Oh God, I just feel for everyone in, in Melbourne and Sydney and pretty much everywhere in Australia at the moment going through what they're going through. And 
And I actually felt guilt on the weekends, Ben, because um, we went down to Corumban Valley. We had yeah. a nice retreat overnight. And <laughs> I, was sit- I called my mum and sitting on the beach and and she's down there in the freezing cold in lockdown, yeah. um, really busy. And I felt guilt and I thought, well, you, you know what? Like, no, like I, I made choices to come and live here and, and to live this lifestyle and maybe it's a bit of luck that we didn't get locked down. At that point, yeah. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but the fact is that it's the middle of winter and I'm sitting in the sunshine on the beach. Yeah. And um, for me, it was it's all a lifestyle decision to come up here and do that. Mm. And a lot of what we've been doing in our business and one of my driving factors in the business is, A, I want to get people who are better at doing their job than I am. Mm. But B, because I want to be able to live the lifestyle that supports my health as best as possible Mm. and being up here in the sunshine and in the warmth with good quality fruits and near the ocean and around nature, like all that stuff's important to me. Now, has that perhaps uh, impacted other areas of my life that wouldn't have been impacted if I'd stayed in Melbourne? Yeah, absolutely it has. But it's the number one priority for me. And I think our lifestyle needs to be our priority because it's not just about stacking up dollars, <laughs> you know, or or whatever it is. Um, I think the way that we actually spend our time is the most important thing. As yep. as we were talking about off air prior, yes, the, you know, the the I talk about this in health all the time. Like any challenges that we have in our in our health or in any area of our life mm. is it's an expression of how we've been spending our life up until that point and the choices we've been making. Mm. So if we want to experience different things moving forward, we need to make different choices and spend our time doing things differently. And that's why I think it's so important. And I really resonate with what you're saying about lifestyle because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Mm. And we all have our different flavors of lifestyle and what we enjoy. Yep. Um, But knowing that and, and owning that, I think is really, really important. And it's it shapes a lot of what we've been talking about today. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's really cool. Mm. Really, really cool. So, okay, we've got the vision. We're living within our means yeah. and we're kind of clear on what we need to be financially free. Mm. That already feels like a place that most people haven't even gotten to or even yep. reached. It's kind of freeing. Yeah, and we can, you know, I do that in a workshop with people in, in about an hour and a half and that's like to get to that point. Step three takes half the workshop and then steps, uh, you know, four onwards is, is the other half. But, yeah, you've got to nail that foundational stuff and we can do that from, you know, we've got tools and, and things that make that easy to work out. So, um, mm. yeah, it's almost like the you share ideas that people haven't heard of and and they go, why is it so simple? Well, it is actually that simple. You just got to do it and start and, mm. yeah. Yeah, most a lot of the time people just don't spend time thinking about this stuff. Yeah, yep. that's it. They're too busy doing something else, you know, something more important in the <laughs> commas. <laughs> yep. Um, are there any other important pieces where, where we should talk about when we talk about foundation before we move on to structures? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, a lot of it's going through the process and, and I also have questions from, from people around, well, you know, when we get caught up in the detail of it, oh, what about tax in retirement and, and how, you know, do we need 2.75 mil or 2.5? And, and so just in a way, like stop stop making it super complex. I'd rather you aim at 2.5 because you've done a back-of-the-napkin calculation than get too caught up in 
working out exactly that because, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in five years. Is, is 8% a return a reality then? Mm. Yeah, all that sort of stuff, but at least it's something to work towards. So, yeah, the, the, the idea there is don't overcomplicate it. And I feel this is more relevant to the later steps is you've just got to go through the process. A lot of people see the, you know, they might have a, an initial phone call with the you know, insurance advisor and, um, and it all seems too hard to go through the process. Just take one step after another. Have someone holding your hand through the process to get it done, but um, make sure you actually get it done. These are, in a way, basic things to have sorted mm. and, uh, you know, sometimes I get a bit passionate about it in the workshops, but I actually think it's selfish not to do this. So if you don't have insurances in place or an estate plan in place, that's super selfish for the, the people that you, you say that you love mm-hmm. um, who, who will need to deal with this if you don't deal with it. And it will often be extremely messy and, yeah, so better to be proactive about it and um, get it done. Yeah, it's a really valid point because a lot of the time this work feels like you're jumping through hoops it's like, oh, I got a, more paperwork. Oh, I got to sign another thing, another DocuSign. Wait, you told me I could do it online. Now I need to go in and do it in person. I got to get it witnessed by a JP. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, oh now I got to find a JP. And like, <laughs> if, oh, I've just witnessed that so many times. Whereas if we have that, just that mindset shift of like, well, yeah, okay, cool. It's going to be probably going to be more painful than what I think it is and that's yeah. all right. Yep. Let's just keep on keeping on and just move through the process and get it done. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's where I see a lot of people fall off and not get this stuff done. It's just too hard, deal with it later and end up not doing this. Yeah, that's right. And then something happens and oh, yep, shit. <laughs> I wish I had that in place. Yeah, it? yeah, exactly. Oh, where's that sign thing? Oh, I didn't sign it. Oh, I didn't scan it back to him. Oh, the scanner wasn't working. That's right. And then we <laughs> had to go to Officeworks and they didn't have any in stock. And, it's, and then it's someone else's fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> all, the, all the brain brain trash comes up. That's it. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's segue then right into insurances. You kind of touched on it then. So now we're talking yeah. about structures. Um yeah, what are the, again, what are the questions that we need to be asking and um, what sort of decisions do we need to be making there? Yeah, so I always recommend using an, an insurance broker or advisor um, and there's there's kind of two types. There's a general insurer or general insurance brokers and then there's life insurance. They're usually financial planners, um, but they, like, they know based on your circumstances which insurers give the better outcome for you. Uh, rather than you going straight to an insurer, you're going to pay no, nothing different in, in terms of prices, in most cases is my understanding, on, on using a broker or going direct. That's that's. But what you do get, hopefully, is advice along the way and that's what you need to look for. Um, you know, questions to ask is how much should I be covered for, uh, for you know, if I was to pass away, what about my income protection? If you're self-employed, um, so a lot of our clients um, run run their own businesses, um, you know, that that's more complex to explain but also to work out how much to be covered for as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, it might be sort of personal preference on other things like trauma insurance or illness, like illness insurance they call it, mm-hmm. uh, whether you want to be covered for that as well. And like TPD and… That's it, yeah. yeah. You're not quite dead but almost. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you can also get um, like insurances around chronic diseases like Alzheimer's and, and those yes. kind of things. I'm not, I can't remember what that falls under. but 
think it's some some of them call it trauma, some of them critical illness. I think oh, Alzheimer's yeah. might be TPD. I have no idea. Is it? I, don't, yeah. I don't know enough about it. Apart from I've worked out how much cover I think I need for life. Yeah, I've got my little formula there. But yeah, uh, yeah all the other stuff is that's, that's someone else's kettle of fish. <laughs> yeah. As a side note, without me getting on the pedestal, the best insurance um, to for Alzheimer's is to just look after your health so you don't get it. But anyway, yeah. that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and being clear on exactly um, like the cover as well. I mean, can you insure yourself for, like for when you die for whatever amount you want? I think there's some limitations to that. Like I don't think you can pick like 20 mil without having some sort of thought process behind it or – um, some insurers might have maximums of certain amounts. So, mm. yeah, I I don't quite know the answer to that. But if it's kind of within, you know, if it's going to pay out debt, provide for a, a decent lifestyle, I don't think you're going to hit many hurdles unless you've already had illnesses and then they consider you high risk for certain things. So, yeah. Yeah, that can be a bit tricky. Yeah. And when you say it's going to pay out debt and pay for your lifestyle, again, for how, like pay for your lifestyle for how many years? Yeah. Like, couple of years? No, I think you'd, you'd want it kind of, well, um, my calculation for our life insurance if I was to pass away basically sets up Stevie and our kids for life so they, they won't have to work again. That, right. That's, yeah, that's the kind of maths I've used. I saw Stevie looking at you earlier and I yeah. could see her just thinking, oh, maybe it's about time we're getting sorted. <laughs> it's always a risk, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that's a beautiful thing and I like what you said earlier about it being selfish, not having those things. Yeah. Sorted. It's right? a, yeah. Because then they're in the lurch. Absolutely. You, you've left them with massive problems. Not only are you gone, then they they can't put anything, or you, they have to draw on your family, external family's resources to provide for them. None of that situation's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about wills and, and, and power of attorney. Again, is that just find a solicitor or get some, a recommendation from someone and get a proper will written, what what does that will need to cover and what are the things that I need to make sure are in there? Yeah. So the the key thing I always say is is an estate plan is not just a will. So it's not one single document. Um, I think most of the ones we put in place is maybe four documents per person. So, and, and again, our client base is, is business owners. So things like the will, the power of attorney, memorandum of directions, it's got a funny name, and they may or may not, oh, testamentary trust, but that's sort of built into the will itself. So they're kind of the key documents I, um, I, I look for. Uh, and again, yeah, your solicitor is key there. If, if they produce a three-page document for you, just walk away. Um, that would be that would be what I would do anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's hard hard to find good consistent professionals, but they are out there. Yeah, we actually walked away from a solicitor because he was like, he was looking at our current wills, or for my parents, and he's like, oh, we can condense this right down to like a couple pages, and I was just like, uh, alarm bells. Yeah. <laughs> alarm bells yep. And you know, there, there might be overkill, but if you work off the the basis of you'd rather have the clause or the thing in there and not need it than need it and not have it. That's, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we spoke about putting that in, but we decided it wasn't going to be any good. Oh, we actually needed that now. Oh. Yeah. Oh, damn. You can't get the person to come back to life to sign it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I find power of attorneys particularly interesting mm. thing to consider, like if they're not done um, right. 
or in time. Yes. And then it's like, ah, damn it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. this is going to be a pain for the next two and a half years whilst we try and sort this out. Yeah, yep. Mm. It can be quite frustrating. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and then um, the last part you had in structures was around super, I think, and long-term wealth. Yep. Yeah, so things we want there is, um, you know, what, what's the best superannuation vehicle for you? Is it industry super or like a like – a, Australian super, like one of those big super providers, or um, is a self-managed super fund more appropriate for you? So uh, we often see that where um, business owners want to buy their own commercial premises. It, it is actually quite a, um, a good transition to be your own landlord and, and to be building an asset that your business rents itself rather than paying rent to some other third party, mm. uh, using your superannuation to do that. So that's, that's one consideration. Um, if you want more control over super as well, we see an SMSF as a great option and also property development. So uh, that can also be, um, you know, funding is often the hardest part of property development and with the right structures in place, you, you can use your superannuation in an SMSF. Uh, again, right structures in place to, to help you fund other projects outside of super. Yeah. So it's pretty, um, pretty powerful stuff. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to have exposure to that right back when I started it in accounting. It seems like a lifetime ago, probably 2007 was when I uh, right. kicked off with that stuff. So yeah, yeah. SMSFs were one of those um, specialty things that not many people saw. Yeah, when did they kind of came in vogue around like 2010 or something, right? Um, it's kind of picked up and up as the years have gone on, but I, like my grandfather had one back in like, Late 80s, early oh, 90s. Wow. Like, yeah, it was okay. done a little bit differently back then, but mm. that's kind of where I've seen the earliest stuff around it. Yeah. Mm. And are they still like is, is any legislation changing and making them less effective at the moment or more effective? Yeah, I guess what they've done, and this is since I've been working in, in accounting, is they've made they've dropped the benefits slowly over time. So uh, the, the way they do that a lot is they limit how much you can put into super. Uh, again, if we think that more money in super is taxed at a lower rate, that's one way to, for them to to limit that tax benefit to to you is to stop how much gets in there. Right. Uh, or just turn it down. So I, mean, I remember early in my career there was one year you could put $1 million as a tax deduction oh into super. Huge. Wow. Huge amounts. And now that same limit is 27 and a half grand, like yep. a fraction. Yeah. So um, – yeah, that's one way. Uh, they've also, um, you know, for, for ever, it used to be 0% tax in pension mode regardless of your balance. And I saw a report the other day where the top five super funds or the top super fund had over half, half a billion dollars in super. You know, 10 years ago when there was no limit on uh, that 0% tax in pension mode, you would have had this Cayman Islands super fund um, just growing without tax, which is awesome. Now they've made the limit one point. Well, I think it's been indexed recently. One point seven mil or so. So the first one point seven mil you have in super in pension is tax free. After that point, you pay your fifteen percent tax. Right. So okay, that's another one they put in. But um, yeah, just small tweaks that they've done along the way. But I still say it's one of the you know fifteen percent tax is better than thirty. <laughs> yeah. So you know it's not all all out the door, um, and it is still. Like when you know how to use them properly, and, and I'm not trying to push the line or be grey or or step over the line, so to speak, mm. um, but you use them within their rules, they are still so powerful. 
um, self-managed super funds. Mm. And is there, you talk about when they're in retirement, what, what are the actual guidelines around when you can switch it into retirement phase and start to utilize that benefit? Yeah, so the current rules are you have to be over 60 years old and have ceased, they call it gainful employment, basically quit your job or 65 years old and you don't have to have quit. Okay. So they're kind of the two two different conditions. There's other layers to it and if you're, if you're terminally ill, you can usually get some out but it's not 0% taxed. Mm. But, yeah, they're the two main ones is 60 and retired or 65 full stop. See, there are benefits to being older. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> often, uh, often I'm high-fiving clients when they turn 60 and they're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, hey, that's, that's fantastic. Go quit your job. <laughs> yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. People are always saying to me, wow, Alex, like you're looking, you're looking younger. All these fasts and things you're doing, you're looking really young. And it's like, yeah, but you're 65, you get – no tax. <laughs> you don't have to pay any tax on it. Yeah. If you have an SMSF and it's in pension phase. That's it. <laughs> Done all that paperwork. <laughs> That's funny. Well, mm. we've got our foundations down. We've got some structures in place. Yeah. Um, bear in mind, this can take months to have done all this, right? I mean, yeah. the foundation work you can do, I guess, you know, a few hours or even think about over a few days. The structure yeah. stuff can take some time. And you'll have back and forth, like insurances can be a process. You mm. might need medical checks and mm. estate planning is usually a good month. Um, mm. Superannuation, yeah, yeah, mm. it all can take a while. However, at this point, I'm feeling like there's uh, some stability. Yes. Um, and, and just kind of an understanding of like where I'm at or whoever's going through this process of like, okay, like I've kind of got a bit of a handle yep. on – my financial situation, my overall wealth situation, mm. um, which is exciting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So then we move on to on to growth. We talked about compound interest a little bit earlier and wise investments. Is there any more that you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I just, just encourage people if you haven't already to start. Um, you know, if it wasn't clear enough with good old Aaron and Carl before, mm. you know, and, and, and just, again, just keep it simple and without saying – to invest in this or that, but like explore index funds because that that like an investment in an index fund means they've also bought multiple um, businesses or shares in multiple businesses. So you kind of spread your risk in, in from that perspective. It's kind of diversified. Yeah. Yep. Not all eggs in one basket, so to speak. Um, and usually clients have a preference of uh, call it property or shares or both. Some won't touch shares, some won't touch property. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, my guideline there is do what works for you, but just do something. Um, I don't understand the mindset of leaving money in cash at all of it because it, it's just going nowhere. Well, it's a fear mindset, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. You're going to lose it. Um, mm. Are you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> has the market dropped? Yes. Can you can you predict that? Probably not. But has it been better off in, let's say, shares for the last 100 years? Yes. Mm. So all that sort of stuff. And, and, and again, what I've found working more and more with clients in this stuff is often logic can go out the window when things get emotional or we've had past experiences that have been bad. Mm. Like people have lost money on shares. Oh, I'm not touching a share again or I made a bad property decision 20 years ago, not touching property. And that can often massively limit a client's potential. So, mm. yeah. I 
feel like with those things, it's like anything in life. Let me give an example. In business, uh, we had to put our prices up recently mm. um, at iHealth because um, the cost of timber yeah. <laughs> and yeah. metal around the world is going through the roof. <laughs> Didn't even think. I've heard construction's in, in a bad place. but Yeah, yeah. saunas are the same. Saunas too, wow. Yeah, and so uh, we had to put our prices up and mm. it was – I never I never liked doing that. Mm. You know, I want to be able to um, give our product at a price that is affordable for people that they get a really high-quality product and blah, blah, blah. But we had to. And so – there was a bit of head trash around doing that for me. And, and then just one morning it clicked. I was like, Alex, put the prices up and then test and measure. Yep. And if you need to adjust the prices, you can adjust the prices. <laughs> and you might get it wrong and you might get it right and see how you go. Mm. And it's just that idea of like just trying and it might not work. So then you just adjust it, yep. you know, like implement something, test and measure and then change and test and measure and change and test and measure. And although perhaps the consequences uh, may feel like they're more for someone who's buying a property mm. or putting 50 grand into a stock, it's a similar kind of thing. Like to get good at it, you're probably not going to nail it the first time. Yep. So then do it, test and measure and change and adjust your approach and then do it again. Mm. And over time you'll get better at it. And you'll make better property decisions and you'll make better stock decisions. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden it starts working for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you don't just buy the best property of your life in the first one mm. <laughs> or make the best stock decision. I'm so glad I bought them at a dollar. Now they're 10 bucks. That's going to happen every time. Yeah. Yep. You know, so I think having that mindset around um, investments is important because mm. you probably won't nail it the first time. Absolutely. And I remember we, we built our first house um, in, it was a nice looking house, you know, poor choice of location and uh, it ended up being worth, by the time we built it, ended up being worth less than what we paid for it. So an awful, <laughs> awful decision. But, you know, I, I could have gone, nah, not touching property again. Or I go, hang on, I learned a heap. I learned the process of building. I learned valuation process and how that works now. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Uh, I, I now know location is so important. Like there's so many lessons out of a, a, a poor decision. So Exactly. Exactly. I mean, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> we were talking about that before the call too. Uh, that's it. And everything in life is is a gift if we choose to see it like that. Yep. And it is a choice. Oh, I made that property investment. Uh, it was a bit of a shit one. So what are all the learnings from that? You know, there are plenty of learnings in all these things that go wrong in our life yeah. if we choose to see them like that. That's or it. we can play the victim card and let's not even go there. <laughs> um, so, okay, that's great. So we're making some investments um, and then we, you talked a bit about property and starting that property portfolio and yeah. getting into that. How does that differ from a wise investment or here we're saying investments are like an index fund and then property is property? Um, no, I think investment is is kind of what works for you, which can be property and or Shares and managed funds, yeah. But the the property on its own is is sort of reiterating that it is it's part of a you know the wealthiest families in in Australia. Mm. It's a massive part of their um, portfolio. Uh, portfolio, and you know some benefits I, I list out in the the workshop I run is you know massive tax benefits through um, depreciation, negative gearing. So it's one of the only investments that if you make a tax loss on, which is often an on paper loss, hopefully. 
um, not a cash loss, yeah. but you make a, a negative gearing loss through depreciation, then you can actually take that off your, your tax bill. So you, you can't you know, you can't do that with other certain other investments alone. Uh, your own property, your own home, if you make a gain on that, it's tax-free. There's no tax-free share sales. If you make a gain <laughs> on them, you can touch and feel it. It's less exposed to stock market volatility. So, you know, if you have a look at what happened with um, share prices when the G- – uh, not GFC – What's the most recent one? The COVID. COVID. Yeah, that's <laughs> that it. old thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so you see a massive dip in the share market. You know the, the property market didn't crap itself that much, but yeah, what you've seen since is it's just gone through the roof. So um, yeah, it, it's another way of diversifying as well, um, away from shares. That's not cash. So yeah, it it, just, it has a lot of benefits, and mm. um, yeah, again, when you look at top one hundred families or our our highest. Uh, value clients here, it's you know they've probably got multiple properties, um, or and they may not be the best properties in in the world, but they they have it as part of their strategy, mm. um, and consistently putting focus to it. Mm. Yeah, I, I something you touched on there made me think about something you said earlier, like like don't get caught in the nitty gritty of you know we're talking about oh do you need two and a half million worth of uh, worth of investments or do you need two point seven five or whatever it is? It's <laughs> like don't get stuck in that. And um, for me, it, I've kind of approached investments like that too. It's like it might not be a perfect property, property mm. but I want to have some of that. And it might not be the perfect stock, but I, I feel like I want to have some of those too. Yeah. Um, so then you kind of diversified and you, you've, you just have a lot of things going for you. Yep. As opposed to being like, oh, I'm going to wait and wait until I find yeah. the perfect property and it, they, it ticks all <laughs> these bo- – and then you may – you may miss out or you just may not get to that kind of end result of being quite diversified. Yeah, yep. And, and I, uh, I did see even um, over the last 12 months um, before the property market really took off, we had a couple of clients considering buying um, certain properties but they did hold off not knowing what was going to happen. Mm. And, you know, you ask them now and they're kicking themselves. Yeah. I, uh, I could have bought two and I missed them. So. Yes, ouch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Okay, cool. And let's just talk about the debt strategy just in a little bit more detail yep um just for a couple minutes yeah um so how does that work debt recycling in general yeah so i, I touched on it before but the the goal is to uh, massively decrease your non-tax deductible debt because it's got no tax benefit to you and 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 often non-tax deductible debt means whatever you've bought whether it's like a a car or a home or a whatever, a boat, isn't actually earning you anything. So it's just basically costing you cash. And when you say a home, you mean the home that you're living in? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Yep. So not an investment property. So it it basically brings focus to getting rid of um, what what a lot of people call bad debt, um, which is that non-deductible debt, uh, while you, I wouldn't say maximize uh, tax deductible debt, but definitely don't prioritize it. Yeah. So, um, and then there's ways you can set up uh, your purchase of investment properties so that you know the income gets paid into your own home loan to, to kill that faster. Um, yeah, yeah. So you could have multiple investment properties that you're uh, renting out to other people, and the income from those rentals is going straight onto your your personal place of residence. Yep. To pay that down quickly. That's right. So, so an, an example of let's say you're paying thirty grand a year off your your home loan, um, but your investment property was earning twenty grand in rent. 
putting that 20 grand on top of your 30, so now you've got 50K going in a year. Mm. But again, you, you stack that with two or three properties. Mm. Uh, you, you start, you know, if you've got 200 grand left on your own home's mortgage and 50 grand a year going into it, again, just back of the napkin stuff, you've, you've paid your home loan off in four years. Mm. And those investment properties are really just staying as interest-only yeah. loans at the time. That's right. You can pay your property down and then I guess you could – do the same strategy with those investment properties eventually. Yeah, yep. Like um, so once you cleared your house, if you've got three three investment properties, then focusing on number one first and then getting mm. rid of that number two and number three. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we could just buy more investment properties. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. 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 I imagine that could get a bit fun. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Let's see it. Have one for every day of the week. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, and again, I think the important piece here is that it's all over time, right? Like yes. You don't have to do all this in the next 12 months. Yeah, yep. That's it. And, and patience is key and even timing, like, um, you know, sharing personal experience. We we tried to sell our first home 18 months ago, so pre, pre-COVID and all that sort of mm. crap. Um and we we had it listed for way less than what we bought it for, dropped it 10, 20, 30 grand, still didn't get any bites on it. So we ended up taking it off the market and renting it. And and now we we ended up not only making that back in a in a recent sale, but we, we get our money back plus some <laughs> as well, with no tax because we lived in it. So um yeah, it, it kind of timing is is also pretty important mm. where I thought we'd made a, a massive loss on it. Turns out, and we didn't make heaps on it, but we, we got what we paid for it back. That's, so, that helps. Yeah. 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 Kind of out of nowhere. So <laughs> it happens for a reason, right? <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Is the caveat there though, timing is important, but when it comes to investments, getting started is also very important. Very yeah. important. Yep. Yeah. Like it, it might sound silly to, to buy at the top of the market or when you think it's the top, but yeah, I think it's a, a worse decision because because what you're also doing there is taking a pretty short term view. Mm. Yes, the market might drop, but what we see with cycles is it does pick up again, and and then so if you think you're buying at the top of the market and that it will never exceed what you buy it at, that's probably not the right lens to look through. Mm. But getting started with a 10, 20 year view, yeah, I think that's a, a bit more of an appropriate way to to look at things. Yeah, you got to zoom out a bit more. Yes. Yeah, really good point. Mm. I feel like we've covered a lot. Yeah, yep. Like there's some meaty stuff there. Yeah, definitely. And and um, I mean that's that's what we cover in a, a workshop with our clients together in in sort of three hours. We do some uh, you know exercises and get the, our workbooks out. But yeah, it is a lot of content to uh, <laughs> to cover. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I love it. I'm, I've gone through my own journey with this stuff, and it works. Yeah, I th- I think it's so important to just have a handle on these things. Yeah. And really just know some of these answers. Like it just helps you sleep a bit better at night. Yes. Yeah. I reckon. Um, which at the end of the day is also pretty important. Yes. <laughs> uh, That's awesome, mate. Do you have anything you want to add to the end of that? Any, any pieces of, of Ben wisdom in there that you just want to <laughs> sprinkle on the top for us at the end of that? <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe, maybe an overarching thing is, um, and, and the whole reason I've broken it down into those steps is, just don't get overwhelmed by it. And, you know, when I started my own journey around um, wealth creation, 
situation was pretty crap. You know, I had it was the first couple of years of starting Inspire. This was quite a few years ago. I had um, you know relationship was in a bit of, of an interesting place with me working crazy hours, Stevie at uni full time, and then doing her practical stuff on on the side. Uh, what else? So you know, no time, no money, and and what we had to do was obviously change something. So we we went away for a weekend and and started with vision. What do we what do we actually want here? And that's where we put a bit of travel on on the bucket list, um, some property purchases, um, actually getting ahead from a financial perspective, and then one step at a time over quite a few years to get that. <laughs> get that sorted um, we um yeah we're, we're in a much better position so if you are feeling like things are all over the place that's fine i've been there it, it sucks but just one foot in front of the other and and start with that vision please beautiful mm. love it if people want to find out more about you or if they want to get in touch and work with inspire yeah where can they find you and find you guys um, so probably the best place is our website inspire.business We've got one of those funny cool. URLs, yep. yeah. Uh, and um, you know, there's there's all sorts of resources and um, webinar recordings, or if if you want to reach out to to talk with one of our accountants, so there's a there's a link there. So that's the best way to do it. Beautiful, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me in your podcast room. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice and comfortable. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on, mate. Mm, thank you. Thanks for uh, going through that with me. Yeah, awesome. Cheers. Thank you. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. 